Ladies and gents, my name is Brandon Stover. Welcome to the How to Solve Climate Change course from Plato University. Causes, systems, obstacles, solutions to this global challenge is what you're going to learn here today. When you're ready to learn more skills, join us for free at Plato.University. Let's get started with today's lesson. We'll have our expert guests briefly introduce themselves and their credentials for why they are able to speak to this topic. My name is uh, Chuck Kutcher, and my background is I, I got my bachelor's degree in physics, my master's in nuclear engineering, and then I went back to school, oh, in the, in the late 80s. I got my undergraduate degree in 72, and I went back in the late 80s to get my PhD in mechanical engineering at, at University of Colorado at Boulder. In order so I could do some teaching. But I started working out in the nuclear power industry. And in the uh, late 70s, President Carter kind of shifted things towards solar. So I got very interested in solar. I changed jobs. I moved from California to what was then the Solar Energy Research Institute in Golden, Colorado. It's now called the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. And I spent 40 years working there. And I worked on solar energy and various uh, other types of renewable energy and energy efficiency. Uh, I was the chair of the American Solar Energy Society in 2000 and 2001. And it, it was at that point that I became very interested in the, in the climate change issue. So I've led a, a couple different studies on that. I've, I've chaired a couple uh, of solar energy conferences uh, where we spent a lot of time on that issue. A lot of my work was in what's called solar thermal, where you're converting solar energy to heat. I didn't have that much, only a little bit of experience in uh, solar photovoltaics. That's where you convert sunlight directly to electricity. That's really the solar technology that's taking off these days. Um, and so I retired from NREL uh, five years ago. Uh, I'm now a, a fellow of the Renewable and Sustainable Energy Institute at the University of Colorado. Um, and so I've actually uh, myself uh, taken a, a lot of courses in solar photovoltaics to learn how to design and install those systems. I do have a, a 6.8 kilowatt uh, solar array on my house, and I've converted my house to all electric. When we kind of get into solutions, I'll, I'll talk about why that's important. Can you explain to us uh, what solar energy is from a first principles perspective? If you look at all the different energy resources, you know, coal, nuclear, natural gas, wind, etc. By far, the resource with the greatest potential is solar. It swamps out everything else. And it's a renewable resource. I mean, you know, we, it's not like you can use up too much sun and run out of it, okay? It just keeps coming. And so, you know, we're trying to move society to uh, being more sustainable so that we're not stealing from future generations, that, that they can perceive the way we have, okay? So solar energy, uh, it's a huge resource. It's, it's, it's a diffuse resource. It's not, it doesn't have energy density like coal does or, or nuclear even has greater energy density. And so you have to build infrastructure in order to capture it. So for example, my roof, uh, the south facing roof of my house is pretty well covered with these solar photovoltaic panels. So it is diffuse and that means you need to, you need area to capture it. As it turns out, it's gotten very, very inexpensive. And so building that area is not, not at all expensive. Now, in using solar energy, 
there are different ways to use it. As I mentioned, you could have solar thermal energy. So, you know, if, if the sun hits a black object, that black object will absorb the heat. It'll get hot and you can heat, use it to heat domestic hot water. There was a big movement in this country in the late 70s, early 80s to heat domestic hot water with solar. We don't see as much of that these days because solar photovoltaics is, is so reliable and has gotten so inexpensive. Um, but anyway, you can use it to provide heat, particularly to heat hot water. You can also, if you concentrate it, I think uh, most of us are familiar with taking a magnifying glass and going out in the sun and, and burning a leaf or something like that. Um, if you concentrate the sunlight, you can heat water to or, or heat a fluid to a high enough temperature that you can boil water with it and, and run what's a typical electric power plant. So in a typical electric power plant, you would burn coal or natural gas. You'd use that to boil water to produce steam, and that steam would go through a steam turbine to generate electricity. So that's called concentrating solar power if you use solar collectors with concentrators. And we have some of that in the United States in the 1980s that were large uh, uh, projects built with, with parabolic trough collectors that focused uh, uh, onto a fluid-carrying pipe that ultimately provided uh, steam. But nowadays, again, because it's become so inexpensive, uh, solar pho photovoltaics is really dominating the solar market and is rapidly growing in the United States uh, and around the world. Uh, why does solar energy help to solve climate change? The fundamental cause of climate change is the fact that when we burn fossil, so-called fossil fuels, coal, oil, and natural gas primarily, the combustion process releases carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide, even though it's a, it's a very small quantity in the atmosphere, it's only four one hundredths percent of the air, but that small quantity spread throughout the atmosphere absorbs outgoing infrared radiation. So it's like putting a blanket on the planet. It, it keeps heat into the planet. It's called a greenhouse gas for that, for that reason. Now, there's naturally occurring greenhouse gases like CO2 in the atmosphere. And it's good that we have them. Otherwise, the oceans would freeze, for example. So you want some of this greenhouse gas. The problem is, since we started burning fossil fuels, we've increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by about 50%. That's huge. It's higher than it's been in millions of years. Mankind has never experienced an atmosphere with the carbon dioxide levels as high as they are now. Um, and so it's heated the planet and it's heated it very non-uniformly. For example, the Arctic is, has warmed a lot more than the mid-latitudes. That, that has caused havoc with weather patterns. So we're seeing weather, extreme weather events that, that we haven't experienced before. So we have to stop burning fossil fuels. We have to stop putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And so renewable resources, solar captures the sunlight coming down. Wind captures the power in the wind. Hydropower from dams, that sort of thing. Any These renewable technologies, they basically address climate change because they don't emit carbon dioxide. And, and they're renewable. So Unlike fossil fuels, we don't have to worry about ever running out of them. It's certainly, it's the key to solving climate change. But like I said, it's, so I mentioned the different types of solar energy, and it's, it's this direct conversion to solar electricity that we're really focused on right now. And the idea is to take our electric grids 
that that use a mixture of different things, coal, nuclear, natural gas, solar, wind, and basically get them to 100% solar and wind. Now, some people argue some nuclear needs to be in there too. Nuclear is a lot more expensive than solar and wind. So it's debatable how much nuclear we'll see going forward, at least in the United States. And so the idea is to power our electric grids with solar and wind, all right? And then look at things like, for example, uh, gasoline cars are also causing climate change because the gasoline engines combust gasoline, emit carbon dioxide. So we're going to move to battery electric vehicles like the Tesla, but Ford, General Motors, other companies are really shifting over to producing battery electric vehicles. In homes, a lot of homes will heat their homes with burning natural gas. There are some places, particularly in the East Coast, where they'll burn oil uh, to heat homes. We got to get away from that. So again, moving toward electricity. Why would uh, solar energy maybe not help solve climate change or where does it fall short? When we go to an electric grid that's based on solar and wind, those are variable sources of electricity. And so utility uh, owners uh, that provide the electricity have to deal with that. Uh, They have to look at ways to account for the variability. So how do we do that? One thing we do is we deploy solar and wind together with each other. So solar is better in the summertime when the days are long and we have more sunlight. It turns out wind blows more in the wintertime. So on a seasonal basis, deploying those two together, they sort of complement each other. They also complement each other during a 24-hour day. So I think a lot of people may not realize it, but the wind typically, not, not always, but the wind typically blows more at night than during the day. And I think all everybody listening to this probably recognizes that the sun shines during the day and not at night. So again, we have a balance there. All right, so that's one thing we do. The other thing we do is we build more transmission. And so that gives utility providers the opportunity, well, if the wind isn't blowing in, this, in our area right now, we'll import electricity from areas where the wind is blowing, okay? Or if it's cloudy in our area, we can import solar electricity from, from uh, places where it's sunny right now. And so building more transmission helps. Battery storage helps. And the cost of batteries has dropped precipitously in the last few years. And so incorporating battery storage will help. And finally, there's another thing that, that we look very closely at, and that is 75% of the electricity in the United States gets used by buildings. All right. About 25% gets used by industry, 75% by buildings. Eventually, a lot of the electricity will be used by cars, but we're not there yet. So the big electricity user is buildings. So there's a thing called demand response where we can develop home energy management systems that control when we use electricity throughout the day. And and, and by, by controlling when we use the electricity, we can better match that supply of wind and solar. So all those things together are meant to overcome the variable nature of solar and wind. Thinking of all the stakeholders that may be involved uh, with solar energy in the way we're getting energy now, who benefits the most from this as a solution and who may be harmed the most? So look, we all benefit by moving off fossil fuels and going to renewable sources, particularly solar and wind. 
Um, a, a huge benefit is not having air pollution. There are huge healthcare costs associated with air pollution. And so that's a huge benefit. Obviously, climate change. If we stop putting heat absorbing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, we'll stop, you know, the temperature will stop rising. We'll have to look for ways to get it to drop after that, but at least we'll, we'll keep it from getting worse. So that's an important thing. So everybody benefits from this change. Now, obviously, if you're a person who works in the oil industry and you work on oil drilling rigs or something, um, they're going to be, those jobs are going to decline and eventually go away. Uh, however, even today, there are many, many more jobs in the clean energy industries than there are in the fossil fuel industry. So renewable energy turns out to be a very good job creator. You know, sort of the, I mentioned the disadvantage of solar in that it's, it's spread out, it's diffuse. To capture, it takes jobs. So it's actually a very good job creator. Now, there are efforts um, to, to say, you know, people don't want to turn their backs on people working in the coal and, and oil industry. Look, all of us, and I, I certainly am no exception, have benefited greatly from all the coal and oil and natural gas that have been burned in this country. I mean, all of us now have, you know, things my parents didn't have or my grandparents didn't have, refrigerators and, and dishwashers and washing machines and dryers. We benefit from all these things that, that, that energy has provided. But now we know that if we keep doing this, it's hurting the planet. We have to make this transition. And so we have to be thankful for those people that develop, you know, that dug out the coal and, and drilled for the oil and provided these resources. And we have to find ways to help them make the transition. But it's not easy. People don't like change, right? People, if, if you've been in a job for 20 years and you're finding your job is going away, uh, that's tough. It means retraining. So we, we, have to, we have to help people make these shifts. You explained a lot about how solar energy works, but could you explain the process of when the sun's rays come down and they hit the you know photovoltaic panel, how that converts to me turning on my light eventually? Sure, sure. Yeah, it, it, so it's called, it's got a name, it's called the photoelectric effect. Uh, and you know, there's two ways you can look at sunlight. You can look at it as waves. You know, we know different wavelengths have different colors in the spectrum, uh, but, but also you can look at, at light as being composed of the, these little packets of energy called photons. And so what happens is in a photoelectric cell, you have a semiconductor material. The most common one is silicon, okay? And so you, you make a, a cell out of silicon, and then you, you actually have the two different layers, and, and you change those layers by, by using what's called doping, and you put other atoms into those, the, into those semiconductor layers. And, and you design it in such a way that when, when photons hit the cell, they knock electrons out of the orbits around the atoms. And, and the way the cell is designed is to sort of create a voltage and separate the, the electrons. And so you can connect an, out, a, a, an external circuit to it and allow those electrons uh, to, to flow from one part of the, of the cell to the other part of the cell. And as, as those electrons flow, that's where you can stick your light bulb and other things. So basically, you put a, 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 a photovoltaic module or panel might be composed of you know, 72 cells, for example. 
And all those cells are wired in series to create a large voltage. Okay. Um, and then uh, when you when you connect a load to it, the current starts to flow. And and you you design it so that um your uh, the amount of resistance that you're providing to it sort of maximizes the amount of, of energy you get out of it. The amount of energy you get out is a product of the voltage and the current. And, and basically, you manage these modules so that that product, the voltage times the current, which is the power, is at a maximum. And so it, you, sometimes the language is, is used uh, maximum PowerPoint tracking, uh, where you're designing these things to provide the maximum power you can out of them. For these to be an effective solution, what technological innovation still needs to happen or policy needs to happen? We have this wonderful circumstance where over a decade, the cost of solar photovoltaics fell by 90% and the cost of wind power fell by 70%. So for example, the International Energy Agency recently came out with an announcement that said, Solar energy is the cheapest form of electricity in history. So we had this very, very low cost of uh, electricity. And so there are efforts made to improve the efficiency. You know, the kinds of uh, panels you would use on your house um, might convert somewhere between 17 and 23% of the sunlight to electricity. So there are efforts to increase that efficiency. But the big issue right now is that uh, there are bottlenecks for getting uh, uh, projects approved, uh, particularly large utility-scale projects. When a utility builds a, a solar energy um, a production facility, um, large uh, photovoltaic arrays, that's the most cost-effective way to do it. There's an economy of scale. You have one installation crew that's putting in this huge thing all at once. You don't have to have people climbing up on different houses, that's uh, roofs, that sort of thing. Um, and right now, there's a real bottleneck of getting those things permitted. And then you also have to build the transmission to move that solar electricity to where it's needed. So you're in Texas. You know, one of the problems they faced in Texas was, you know, Texas is a, is a, a big producer of wind power. But the wind is really located in West Texas. Okay. And it's in East Texas where you have the big population centers like Dallas, Fort Worth and, and Houston. So they had to build the transmission to get the power out of West Texas and get it to East Texas. And that's a broader problem in the country right now. We have to basically speed up the permitting process. We need policies that help make that happen. We need to speed up the process of, of getting more transmission out there. So I think that's really where we need some policy advances. And you know, we need to continue to subsidize, uh, provide some incentives uh, for for wind and solar because they're beneficial to all of us. And uh, by the way, we still uh, have large subsidies for fossil fuels. You know, those are they've been around for a long time. At some point, we need to get stop subsidizing the things that's causing the problem. What are the best resources to learn more about solar energy in relation to climate change? Solar photovoltaics is really the dominant technology now in solar. Um, and and people can learn about that, the practical aspects of it, by going to typically community colleges or special uh, centers where they have training in photovoltaics. And, and so, for example, there's a an organization called Solar Energy International. I have actually taken my, the courses myself, practical courses, 
They're located in Paonia, Colorado. I think they've been in existence for over 30 years. And they, you can go to, to solarenergy.org to see their site. They have lots of online courses. They also have hands-on courses, but they have ones where you don't have to travel to their, to their site. Uh, they have a very good handbook um, that's advertised on their site. There's, uh, I'll give, I can give a plug for a couple of my things. So uh, we have a textbook, uh, Principles of Sustainable Energy Systems, and it has a chapter uh, on uh, photovoltaics and also on the electricity system. Uh, this is aimed now really uh, at uh, mechanical engineers like seniors and, 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 and graduate students. So, you know, at the university level, that's what that's aimed at. Um, we also uh, uh, did a report uh, called Ex Accelerating the U.S. Clean Energy Transformation. Um, and uh, this is available as a free uh, download as a PDF. Uh, and we there's a section here on the electricity sector, and we talk about solar in there. Right now, you're speaking to passionate students who want to actually solve problems like these. What top three skills should they study so that they actually have the ability to do so? Again, you know, because solar is expanding the way it is, and, and it depends, you know, where people are in their educational career. You know, certainly if they're uh, in, in the university, one thing that we really need is, is power engineers. That's typically in electrical engineering, because we have to uh, build out this grid. We have to put in more high-voltage direct current transmission. We have to figure out how to balance the grid. You know, we're switching... We're transitioning the electric grid from turbines and generators that have inertia and momentum to them. Uh, and there's some benefits to that. And as we move away from that, we go to um, what are called inverters uh, that, that convert DC to uh, direct current to alternating current. And that's really changes the dynamics of the electric grid. So we need uh, power engineers to work on that. We need civil and structural engineers to design the racking systems and look at at roof supports, that sort of thing. We need policy experts um, to develop policies like the ones that I mentioned, ways to streamline, get rid of these roadblocks we're seeing that are slowing up uh, the transition. Teachers, we need people that, uh, to teach this at the high school level, at the college level, to teach about climate change, teach about the solutions. Uh, and then I already mentioned uh, solar photovoltaic designers and installers, that there are, there are good places to learn how to do that to get involved in, in actually doing this hands-on. Any final recommendations for the audience? So I, I guess my, re my recommendation would be, um, first of all, to recognize there's a lot of disinformation out there. You know, one thing, so I can remember when the internet first got going, and I had a very naive reaction to it. I thought, isn't this wonderful? No matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to get good information about things on the internet. What, what I hadn't really put together is, well, you know, we're human beings and there are a lot of human beings that are putting disinformation out there. For example, I own an electric car. The, pe the, the people that sell gasoline don't like electric cars. So an awful lot of money has been spent to convince people electric cars are bad for one reason or another. So what I think people need to do is really work on their critical thinking skills and be able to evaluate the information they're seeing and know, you know what has some financial or political or ideological motive to it and what's based on science. So if you want the stuff that's real and science-based, you can go to websites or, or publications by NASA, 
the Environmental Protection Agency, the National Academy of Sciences, um, that sort of thing. You know, there, there's a good book by Naomi Oreskes and Eric Conway. Uh, uh, Professor Oreskes is now at Harvard, uh, called Merchants of Doubt. And it kind of explains this whole kind of disinformation world we live in. There's also a good book by um, climate scientist Michael Mann of the uh, University of Pennsylvania called The New Climate War. Um, but ultimately, look, this is a huge problem. And it's terrific to do the right thing, to, to make your house more efficient, to buy an electric car. These are all good things. But this is such a big problem that we need to get into the politics of it. We need to support those politicians that basically want to make this transition, help us make this transition. So, you know, I think, I think that's something all of us need to aspire to is become a little more politically active and, and demand that we make this transition because if we don't, we're all suffering as a result. Thank you, Chuck. For today's activity, research the process of installing solar panels on a residential property, evaluate the feasibility for a hypothetical location considering factors like roof orientation, energy consumption, and return on investment. Thank you for taking the How to Solve Climate Change course. If you want to learn the skills to solve this global challenge, join us for free at Plato.University for exclusive content, extra resources, and actionable exercises with every lesson. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at Plato.University.